move Brooke out of the equation, Father God, as I yield to you. I just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to each and every heart, Lord, under the sound of my voice, Father God. And just as I prayed over the children, Lord, that they'll each receive what they need to hear out of the message that you've given, Lord. Thank you that we're all sitting at your table this morning and we're dining and we're eating, yes, even in the presence of our enemies, Father. And I thank you, Lord, not just for another sermon, but I thank you, Lord, for transformation of minds and hearts. And I thank you, Lord, for impartation this morning of your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, the last time I spoke was a few months ago, and uh, you might remember the whole sound system got shut down. <laughs> but I spoke about the fear of the Lord and the awe of God. How many remember anything about that message? Do you remember? Okay, I know it was a while ago. Um, but this morning, I wanted to talk about another aspect of the awe of God. And the message this morning is going to focus more on intimacy, friendship, and building trust with the Lord, because that's where it all starts, right? And I start with a question. Is it possible to be a member of God's kingdom, but still have missed the opportunity to be intimate with him? The quick answer is yes, I think it could be possible. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for the judgment to begin, and it starts within the household of God. And if it starts with us, what will the outcome be for those who are disobeying God's good news? If the righteous is barely delivered, it says barely delivered, where will the ungodly and sinful end up? So some of the righteous are barely delivered, but God but his grace in our lives. So it is possible to still be saved, but not have the intimacy that he offered to you. Could we go to Psalms 25, 14 this morning? Psalms 25, 14. And it says in verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The Hebrew word for secret is defined as counsel. And I found this article, and it says, an intriguing feature of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible is the divine council, a body of celestial beings who meet with God in divine deliberations. This idea is connected to the Hebrew term sod. It's spelled S-O-D, which means a confidential discussion, a secret or plan, a circle of confidence or counsel. The Greek dictionary states that confidentiality is at the heart of this term. So the psalmist isn't just talking about one secret, but it's talking about God's secret counsel. But for our purpose today, I'm just going to call it secrets, God's secrets. We could say God shares his secrets with those who fear him. What is the fear of the Lord again? I just want to refresh your memory since I know it's been a while since I preached that message. In short, it's reverence, holiness, all submission. Remember, the fear of God trumps all other fears that we could ever have. When you fear the Lord, all other fears are nothing. So God's secrets are with those who fear him. They walk in holy awe and reverence before him. And it's a blameless walk. It's a pure walk. Even when nobody's looking, you're set aside. You're consecrated for him alone. 
Let me ask you another question. Who do you trust sharing your secrets with, your deepest secrets? Your acquaintances? Your closest friends? Your family? I know for me, I don't share with just anybody. It has to be my closest friends or my family. And I hope you thought the same, that you only share with your closest friends and your family, those you know well because you trust them, right? And I just want to tell you that, listen, the Lord's no different. <laughs> he shares his heart and his secrets with his closest, most intimate friends. His close friends are those who embrace the holy fear that we've been talking about. Those are his close friends. And I like the ESV version, too, of the Psalms. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. I have to ask another question. I know I'm asking a lot today, but maybe we all just assumed it, but is everybody in the church or the body of Christ God's true friend? I want you to sit with this. I want you to ponder it. Is everybody in the body of Christ God's true friend? Many people follow Jesus for the loaves and fish, correct? They followed for the miracles and what he could do for them. And then he had 12 disciples. And then there was Peter, James, and John. And they saw things the others didn't, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then there was one, John. And he laid his head on the very chest of Jesus. He could hear his very heartbeat. We're talking about intimacy with the Godhead right now. And in the Old Testament, there's two men that I want to point out today, and they are called God's friends. And that's Abraham and Moses. Yes, there are others for sure. But those are the ones I want to focus on. Abraham. Why is he called God's friend? Here's some things to take note of. God promised him a son at 75 years old. God was giving him the long-awaited desire of his heart. He then waited many more years before his wife Sarah gave birth to their son Isaac. It was a miracle because Sarah was 90. Can you imagine your grandma or great-grandma pregnant? <laughs> because of the way Isaac was very special to Abraham. But one day, after years of raising Isaac, God spoke to Abraham in prayer. And let's go there to Genesis 22.2. Genesis 22.2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Okay, first of all, Isaac was not as young as many of us have been taught. He was very possibly in his 30s, okay? And Sister Beth and I were talking, and it's just really amazing because this has to be personal. He didn't just worship because he was Abraham's son. He worshiped God because God was his God too, okay? But back to sacrifice. Like, what really, what is going on here? Kill the promise that you gave me after all this time? And God gave him no specific reason that I'm aware of to sacrifice his son. So just imagine if God this asked of you about your promised child. He said he would make him, you know, many nations through his seed. Just imagine if this was you. Now, I feel like this is a sermon for another day, but I talked earlier about walking the pure, consecrated walk with the Lord. And that's part of walking in the fear of God. And sometimes in our walk, he might not only ask us to lay down sin or troublesome things in our lives, but he might just have you lay down some good things on the altar too. 
We always hear about laying our burdens down, but what about the good things he's promised us? And I'm here to tell you that I had to lay my true calling on the altar. And do you know how hard that was? Because it was my promise since I've been 12. And I, I didn't understand what he was doing after making the promise to me. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to lay something good and promise down. But let me tell you something, nothing, not even your calling should come before him. And so he says, lay your son Isaac down, Abraham. Lay him on the altar. Sacrifice him. And Isaac, remember, had to be willing to because he was a lot older than what we thought. And what does scripture say Abraham did? Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 3, the next verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Did Abraham mull over it? Did it sound like he wavered? Did he call up his friends and say, what, what's your opinion on this? What do you think about this? Did he ignore God? Did he resist his command? No, the Bible says he got up early, went his way with two servants and Isaac. He didn't hesitate to obey. And you don't have to go here, but in John 14, 21, it says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. My father will love those who love me. I too will love them and reveal myself to them. It's those like Abraham who accept and obey what the Lord says that the Lord will reveal himself to you. So two and a half days later, there's still no word from God. There's no specific reason other than God said to. God said to. And I just read this and I thought, I wonder what was going through his mind. This was a test for sure. Abraham didn't have the why, but he had the faith. And sometimes you're not going to have all the whys in your life, but you have to have faith because God said so. So the critical moment arrived and could he really do it? Would he pass one of the greatest tests of his entire life to lay down his promise? In great anguish, he lifts his hands. He's about to thrust the knife into the chest of his promised son, all because God simply asked him to. And suddenly an angel cried out. Let's go to Genesis twenty-two twelve. Genesis twenty-two twelve, And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you are a man who fears God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And I just would like to say, wow, what a foreshadowing of what God would send his only son, Jesus, to do, you know? But the angel said, now I know that you fear God, Abraham. How did the angel know that he feared God now? You may want to take notes on these points because they're very important. Number one, he obeyed instantly. He didn't wait around and he wasn't hesitant. I'll say that again. He obeyed instantly. He didn't wait around and he wasn't hesitant. Number two, he obeyed when it hurt deeply. Sometimes obeying is going to hurt, and sometimes it's going to hurt deeply. Number three, he obeyed when it didn't make any sense. God isn't going to always give us the why. We have to trust. And number four, he obeyed when there was no benefit in it to him. And I thought about it. Could I really obey like that? Could you really obey like that? Because Obedience costs us something. And the great Catherine Kuhlman always said, it costs everything. 
She said, if you really want to know, it costs everything. What is following God costing you? Because there is a price in being a true friend to God. There's a price in intimacy with God. What is it costing you? So Abraham put down his knife, untied Isaac, and saw a ram caught in a bush. And I want to go to Genesis 22:14. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which still means today the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What do we see in this scripture? What happened? I believe that God showed Abraham a facet of his character that he had not known before. Yahweh Yireh, or better known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the substitute. Abraham became a friend of God and saw things he had never seen before about God because of his obedience and his sacrifice. His obedience revealed great and mighty things that he knew not before that. I want to continue to look at the dynamic of the relationship of Abraham and the Lord because to me it's truly inspiring. Let's go to Genesis 18, 17. In Genesis 18, 17, he said, should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asks. That's amazing to me that God would say that. Like, it goes back to that secret counsel. Could you imagine the Lord saying, should I hide my plan from Laura? Should I hide my plan from Brooke? Should I hide my plan from Angie? Isn't it something that he would consider us before making a decision? Uh, What was happening in these verses? Well, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God and Abraham are conversing back and forth about the situation. And God wanted to hear Abraham's thoughts on the matter. I think that's pretty amazing. Abraham thinks about Lada's nephew and family and intercedes for them. Let's go to Genesis 18, 23 through 25. Genesis 18, 23 through 25. And Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? So God was pleased with Abraham's response, but Abraham was concerned that maybe there weren't even 50 righteous. And so he kept on bargaining with the Lord. Let me tell you something. Only a friend could talk this way to a king. We're talking about the king of kings, the Lord of lords, a servant only or a subject. It would be very, very disrespectful. And just remember Queen Esther. Remember the story that if she came before the king unannounced, what could happen? And that was, you know, she was his wife. Um, But we're now talking about the king of kings. And so Abraham's sitting here bargaining with the Lord. So Genesis 18.33 says, When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. So it's still just so profound to me that the Lord considered Abraham's thoughts on the matter when making a choice that big to destroy these cities. I have another question. Are we clueless? See, the sobering reality is that God was like about to obliterate Sodom and Gomorrah. They may not have had a clue what was going to happen, right? They were living life. They were living it up. They were living the good life. 
But here's what's even more sobering to me. Lot was considered a righteous man, and he had no idea. He had no idea what was about to happen. Why didn't God have this conversation with Lot also, since he was righteous as well? And I'm not going to go there, but you can find that in 2 Peter 2.7. It says Lot was righteous. So here we have two righteous men, Lot and Abraham. One, Abraham, who knew what was coming beforehand and even spoke in the secret council as to what should be done. He was even able to intercede beforehand and pray for his family. But then we have the other Lot, who was as clueless as all of the wicked people. Isn't that interesting? Why? Why? The first guy, Abraham, the first man, feared God and holy all to the point that he would even put his beloved son on the altar. And because he feared God, he was a true friend of God. And because he was a friend of God, he could know the secret counsel of God. I'm going to say that again. The first man, Abraham, feared God and holy all to the point that he would lay his beloved son on the altar. Because he feared God, he was considered a true friend of God. And because he was a friend of God, he knew he could know the secret counsel of God. And I kind of had to wonder while reading this, did Lot not fear God? Maybe he was righteous, um, but did he have the holy reverential awe of God? Was he called the friend of God in the scriptures? Did he know the secrets of God? Lot was called righteous, but guess what? He was still worldly. Lot is a lot like the believer, I believe, in the Western church. Like when we're put in a corner, I'm just talking abroad here, that a lot of times we serve our own best interests. But there were consequences for Lot's worldliness. He had ungodly offspring. And do you remember his wife? She was so attached to Sodom that she turned to salt because she looked back. She was attached to this world. Jesus said in Luke 17, 32, remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. You will find your life. We can't be like Lot. Like I had this thought this week, like we're to love the Lord with everything we are, everything we have, because we're just passing through here. Don't look back after coming to the Lord because there's nothing back there. There's no plan B. I mean, what else is there? What else is there besides him? Now, I know I also mentioned Moses. He was a friend of God, too. God appeared to him in a burning bush, and he went up the mountain as a consecrated man and received the commandments. Think about it. His face shone so much with the glory of God that when he came down, they put a veil on his face because he was so glorious after being face to face. Let's go to Numbers 12.8. Numbers 12, 8, and this is the Lord speaking, and he says of Moses, I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? So he's not speaking to Moses in riddles or just dreams. He's speaking plainly like a friend does to a friend face to face. And God's wondering, why weren't they afraid to criticize my friend, my servant, the one who talks face to face with me? Let's go to Psalms 103.7. I know we're jumping around a lot, but uh, Psalms 103.7, it says, He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So the children of Israel knew his mighty acts, okay? They saw the plagues. They saw all of that in Egypt. They saw the waters part. They saw all of it, but Moses 
knew him. He knew his character. And that comes from being face-to-face intimacy of the deepest kind with God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to move on from Moses and Abraham to Jesus. Let's go to John 2, 23 through 25. John 2, 23 through 25. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And that made me say, hmm. We see that they did begin to trust in him, but he did not reciprocate the trust because he knew all men in their hearts. He knows human nature and he sees it all. He sees us bare. He sees us naked before him. Trust in the Greek means confidence, reliance, to have faith in. So even though they began to fully trust in him, he did not fully trust in them. Oh, he loved the crowds. He loved them. He served them. He did miracles. He had compassion. But let me ask you, we're all in his inner circle. Did all have access at the time to lay their head on his chest like John did? No, no. Many, many followed him, but they weren't reliable. They followed him secretly, or guess what? If it benefited them in some way, many followers even left him. Of course, we know Judas betrayed him, and it's a narrow way, guys. Few find it. Maybe, maybe just maybe this is why Jesus didn't always reciprocate the trust back. At the Last Supper, the Seder meal, Jesus is now sitting with his closest companions, and with affection, he says in Luke 22, 28, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Those at the table were reliable. They were with him. Yeah, we know Peter denied him, but he knew the outcome of that. We know, you know, he knew about Judas. But to the others, he said, you have been with me in my trials. Not just the fun stuff, you know, the miracles, but in my sufferings too. To the remaining 11, he states, let's go there to John 15, 15. And he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Let me ask you another question. Does that mean at one time they were merely thought of as servants only? his disciples, his 12, because he said, I no longer call you servants, but because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but instead I've called you friends now. I want to tell you that friendship has to go through the fires of testing. Friendship has to stand the test of time through it all. Let's go to Galatians 4.1. Galatians 4.1 says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves <clears throat> an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than servants until they grow up. <clears throat> Even though they actually own everything their father had, 
not much better off than servants, even though they own everything their father had. Why would God possibly keep us at the level of servants if we are heirs in his kingdom? I think it's to protect us. Because he says, until you're very established with who I am in your life and very established with who you are in me and have the fear of the Lord, I'm going to keep you more at a servant level, even though you are an heir, a son and daughter in my kingdom. And by the way, I want to say we don't ever stop being servants, okay? It's just that servants don't know the full master's business. They don't know his secrets. He protects us because he loves us. We don't want to have an Ananias and Sapphira experience. Remember that? That was New Testament too. We're always as children, but I don't trust my kids with certain things until I know they can handle it. They have to come to full maturity. So my daughter, as you know, just turned 16 last week, and she's been driving. It's a little scary sometimes. <laughs> but I'm certainly not going to let my seven-year-old behind the wheel because I know most likely he's going to hurt others. Andy's going to hurt himself. So up until then, Jesus had not given them the inside scoop into the secret areas of his heart. <clears throat> and God's secret counseled that deeply. But now, now he could trust them because they went through his suffering with him. He could trust them like how he did with Moses and Abraham. And I'm just going to say this. Sometimes I think we think we're further than we really are. The disciples could have thought that too, and me too, because guess what? I've had to do some self-evaluation in my own walk, because I don't want to think I'm way up here, but really I'm way behind his footsteps. I want to be in step with him, and that's what he wants for all of us. He wants all of us to be in step with him. Are we still at the servant level only? We'll always be servants, but are we there only? Or are we truly a friend that he can bear his heart to? We often bear our burdens <clears throat> and our hearts before him. But let me ask you something. Did you know that, um, excuse me. <clears throat> Did you know that he has burdens too? And he wants to share his heart with us too. His heart aches too. Did you know that? Let's go to John 15, 14. John 15, 14, and it says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And that's the key word, if you do what I command. It's a conditional word. So even if you do believe in him, this is still an if. So in the wilderness, they constructed a tabernacle and there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and there was holy of holies. We know the veil's been rent now, right? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we all have access to going boldly, but how far are you willing to go? How deep are you willing to dive in if? Are you comfortable staying in the outer court? You're kind of cold towards him. You're there, but you keep him at a distance. You're willing to go into the inner court, but you're not all in. There's still some things that you're holding on to that might be good, and they might even be sinful, and he's saying, let them go. Come on all the way in. Or are you willing to pay the price of friendship with God and go <clears throat> into the most holy place? And that, <clears throat> and that place is deep within your spirit, man, now. You are the tabernacle. But it's your choice. If you obey him, then you are his friend.
It takes that faithful, pure walk for him to trust you as well if you're willing to sacrifice. Now, I've had some experience in the last few years that are hard to fully explain, but I felt released to share a little bit about it to you because of the message. <clears throat> the Lord has been showing me people's deaths maybe around two years or so before he takes them home, okay? Not everybody's deaths. That would be very overwhelming to me. It's just key people that he wants to show. And at first I was really taken aback by the dreams because I've always been a dreamer, but seeing this in real time is new to me. And I'm like, why are you showing this to me? What is the intention? Um, one dream was a dear friend of ours named Charlie Dosick. He had kidney issues for a while, but at the time I dreamed the dream, he was not in the hospital. And in the dream, I saw him hooked up to all kinds of medical equipment. I believe it was an ICU. And his wife was pacing back and forth, back and forth, praying and declaring. And I really admired her faith in the dream, but I knew in the spirit, by the spirit of the Lord, that his time was coming soon. Well, maybe a year and a half passed, and he ended up in the hospital hooked up to a lot of equipment. I never saw him there, but that's what we were told. And I knew God had taken me outside of time and into the future of what would happen. I never asked, but I just knew that she had been pacing the floor. I, I know Carol, and I know she was pacing the floor for his healing. And he did pass away shortly after that. And as a matter of fact, they both went on to be with the Lord since then. But I'm just learning as I have these dreams how, first of all, how precious death is if you're born again, because it's just as precious, if not more, as being born. But I'm also learning why he keeps showing this to me is to pray for everyone around to be comforted and prepared. And it's also to pray that that person will meet, that's going to meet death soon, that they have the fear of the Lord, that they're ready to see him face to face in peace. And I'm sure there's even more to it, and he'll reveal more as we go on in this. But what struck me the most recently is how God chose to reveal such deep secrets to me. Because we're talking about the death of others, and it's pretty monumental, you know, I'd say. And I actually began to start feeling grateful that he trusts his heart as to what he's going to do in the future to me. Because... I don't feel like much of anybody, if I'm honest, in myself. I know with Jesus, I'm everything, but I'm not being prideful. I know where I've come from. And it's not easy because God's outside of time, and I might have to grieve a long time before the person is even sick or everything seems normal. And it's just really a weird place to be in. You know what I'm saying? I can't just go up and tell people, hey, this is what I saw. I can't tell the secrets. I have to pray. But my point in sharing this is that if we fear God, truly, he will entrust us with information and revelation that he wants us to know, his secret counsel. It goes from trusting him, and then it begins to reciprocate. He begins to trust us. Can he trust you with his heart? Will you keep secrets secrets? I was teaching my kids a series on obedience, and at the end, they taught us the old hymn, Trust and Obey. And I like hymns because... Behind them are very, very powerful stories, and it goes like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus 
but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Oh, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. Whatever he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Oh, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but trust and obey. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Lord, oh, for grace to trust you more. Do you trust him? Do you obey him? But as equally important, can he trust you too? Because that's true intimacy. It goes both ways. And I want to be called a friend of God like Abraham and Moses. I want to create with the mind of God. I want him to see me as someone that he can come to and confide into. And we talked about, or we prayed about, uh, the glory train in the office. And if you think about the tracks, there's two on the side. And you have to have intimacy and you have to have the renewed mind to go anywhere on the glory train. If you're missing the intimacy, that train's not moving. And if you're missing the renewed mind and you're not renewing your mind every day, that train's not moving. We have to have those two together to make this glory train go, okay? And I just thought about it. I thought, if we're intimate with God at home every day, imagine what he'll do for our homes and our kids because I'm contending for it in this new year. I want to see uh, a major revival and change in my home. Imagine coming in here and there's hard fallow ground, but because we've been intimate all week with the Lord, it's already broken up. We come in here, it's already ready because we've sacrificed the time with him to come away with him when he's saying, come away with me during the week. You see, the message is really simple and it hasn't changed. It all starts with intimacy. And then as you grow in your faith and trust in him, he'll trust you with more. And so I would love for the prayer team, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Um, and I just... I just, I know we're all in different places. Like maybe you're in the outer court, like, and you just feel like cold towards the Lord and you have bitterness. Or maybe, like I mentioned before, that you're willing to come in to some degree and you're just right there. You're just at the brink of going all the way in, but you're letting something hold you back. It could be something good or it could be a sin in your life. But the Lord's saying, come on. Come on all the way, experience all that I have for you because everybody in here, friendship with the Lord is open to you. Intimacy is open for you, but it's if, if you obey, if you obey his leading. And so if you just feel that nudge right now in your spirit, just come on up and let us pray for you for breakthrough if you want the fear of the Lord stronger in your life, you just want to be more intimate on a daily level because this is so important here 
and us gathering and being encouraged and edified, but your most important time is when you're at home with the Lord one-on-one, face-to-face. So if you desire to go deeper today, just come forward. Thank you, Jesus. If you guys could, um, if you're able to stand, please, and just pray for those up here while we're praying and interceding. Thank you.